You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. We're here today, listen, we're here today um, because, because, listen, the resurrection is real. The resurrection is substantiated, material, spiritual, physical, everything that, that can mark an existence. It's real. The minute that Jesus returned uh, to earth to walk on this earth through walls, nonetheless, he asked for fish at the fire. And it's not because he's a vegan hipster, you know, Mr. Rogers tells you to share more. No, it's because he claimed he's God and his body was resurrected and he could eat fish after he was resurrected because the resurrection is real. The resurrection is, is here, even in this place. You know, Jesus makes this bold comment. He says, you know, it's better that I would go because if I'm still here, The Holy Spirit can only dwell in one person, but if I leave, the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in anybody that's available that has come by the blood of Jesus. And so the resurrection is here right now as the oxygen is in our lungs. And we're also here because the resurrection means reunion. And some of us are here, and the resurrection isn't just some felt bored, hypothetical thing that never happened because it's always happened and spring always happens after winter. No, it needs to be real because if it's not real, then love is cruel. It needs to be real because the ones that we, that we long to be with and be reunited in Christ are given to us by a promise and not a plan this up to us. We will be reunited with those in Christ and every tear will be wiped from our eyes. And so we're here because the resurrection is an actual, actual real thing. And so um, we're usually making our, our way through whole books of the Bible left to right, and we're going through a series of Romans, but for today, we are in uh, John chapter 11. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to open there uh, with me, and, um, and I'll, just, I'll just read um, as we get going this morning. Uh, so let me just read the, the main passage today, and, um, and uh, just pray that the Spirit would speak to us um, in this time. So John chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 17, says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already in the tomb for four days. And uh, Bethany was two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21 says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, Martha. Martha answered, you know, I know know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even if they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside, and the teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews had who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 33, and when Jesus saw her weeping and, and the Jews 
who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, the Lord replied, and Jesus wept. And when the Jews said, see how he loved him, verse 37, but some of them said, could this not have been the man who had been opening blind eyes, and couldn't he have kept them, this man from dying? So um, I'll be paying out a lot of money today because I use um, kids in my sermon illustration every now and again, and they have copyright contingencies on me for their name and likeness onto perpetuity if I use their names, which I'll be using all of them today, every card I've got. Uh, I owe them each a Starbucks drink. So I'm going to get the Starbucks cars uh, flown today. And uh, so I'm a dad of four. The oldest is 15, the youngest is five. And there's many, many roles as a husband and as a father you don't know when you say I do that you're going to do. I didn't know. I didn't know it came with the territory. I was going to be a grill, grill meister. Got to get on the grill. When, when Kyra's away, I don't know. How, I'm, I, I know the grill. Um, that's my safe spot. I'm going to keep it there. I know, I know what's going on on the grill. Uh, I'm the, even though I'm just as scared as Kyra of the dog that's crept into our house in the middle of the night, I'm still the guy with the tennis racket uh, to go out there and try and get the dog. That's, that's my role. And, and another role that's very, very important, and uh, young husbands might not know this role, but older, older dads will know this, is in my house, I'm the pet preventer. Okay, the pet preventer, okay, <laughs> realizes that in, in a group of young little children and a dear wife named Kyra, that uh, if we're going to be on the fence about buying a pet, nobody's going to say no except for me, okay? Because I'm the pet preventer, and the eyes are just so cute, and, you know, they're just so funny and so furry, and uh, I don't know who's going to take care of it, what we're going to do on vacation, who's going to get it shots, or all the things, but I just want the pet right now, so give me the pet, please. And that's, that's my job. It's my, my job to say no. And I want to let you know on this Easter that I have failed at my job, okay? <laughs> I want to introduce to you, we don't have a name yet, we woke up this morning with Bunny, we don't even know, is it Easter Bunny? I don't even know the name. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Already doesn't like me, scratch me. We don't know the name, we're taking dibs, we're taking dibs. We have a lot of pets in our house, we just want people, we want more things in our house. I just am realizing that everybody wants more, I'm the only one that wants less. Everybody wants more, nobody wants less. So here's the next one, uh, let's get another picture of, yeah, that's Mochi. That actually happened April 8th, and so we're multiplying. Be fruitful and multiply. I figured I'd take Genesis very literally. Multiply, learn how to talk. That was the original bunny that we were looking at. And then last one, the regal steed herself, Penny Hondro Wong. And that's a Belgian waffle in her, house, in her mouth. And if you need to know anything about Penny, one thing that she does not, she doesn't like a lot of things, but one thing that she lacks is character and integrity. Because that girl will do lots of different stuff when you're not around that she knows you're not supposed to do. I remember Emily Reitz, uh, one of the people who used to go to this church, came to uh, watch the dog one time and called and was like, is Penny supposed to be standing on the dining room table? And I was like, no, she's not supposed to be standing on the dining room table. Tell her to get down. She's got anxiety, guys. I mean, anybody here have anxiety? I just, I mean, if you're going to bark and be mean at the guests, don't pee at the same time. Like, you know, it's like, ah, you know. So I'm failing, failing on my job. Because uh, I know that if I'm, if I'm not the pet, pet, pet preventer and I'm not the pet provider, I will soon become the pet pallbearer, which is the saddest thing. This one time, the first bird that Leo got, he named it Pelican, even though it was a parakeet. So we had to scratch that, and he called it Junior. So we got home one time, and parakeet Pelican Junior was not doing so good. He was actually keeled over, and he must have been gone for a while because he was... 
not, he was pretty stiff. He wasn't even limp. He was just kind of there. And so, um, and so, yeah, somebody had used the space controls like Buzz Lightyear on our gas grill, and it turned the gas on. And luckily, the house was, was okay, um, but the bird was not. And so we had to take it, you know, out to the tree. And uh, anyways, I mean, you guys, dads, have you guys been here before? Am I on my own on this one? Um, why are we looking at a passage on Easter about death? Because, because it seems that for us um, uh, little people, for our um, uh, walking, talking uh, images of God that, that walk around, sometimes it's, it's when we face death that we actually understand what life is for the, for the first time. Uh, maybe you've been um, to a funeral before. Have you ever been there and people are up there talking and you think to yourself, man, I wonder why we didn't honor this person the way we're talking about them when they're dead, when they're alive. I wonder why it took the person to die that somebody would actually sit down and write a soliloquy, write a homily about someone's life that I never shared with them at their life, that I would share it for the first time and think about it for the first time at the funeral, but I don't understand the meaning of life until somebody passes away. It's kind of a tragedy and a shame. I wonder if you guys have ever, um, on the news or through a friend or a coworker, heard of somebody uh, dying or passing away that's your age. You know, we think about death as something that is long into the future and something that we just pass out of this earth quietly at a ripe old age of whatever fill in the blank is. But what if they die and they're 52? What if they die and they're 41? What if they die and they're 27? Death can help us to measure our time differently. It affects the way we would maybe proceed with our days and our months and our years. Or maybe someone around you or on the news dies and it's the same family member that you have to go home with at night. If you've ever seen a school shooting before, you tend to hug your kid a little bit tighter when you get home and you tend to realize life in the middle of death. And so that's why I think that Jesus takes the opportunity at his friend's funeral, no less, to preach one of the greatest Easter messages he'd ever preach. I am the resurrection and the life. And any man that die would live And anyone that would believe in me would live and not die. Because don't let anybody fool you. We as people want to find our peace and our our claim on death. Death is not our friend. Death is ugly and vile, and it doesn't care how many kids you have. It doesn't care how planned you were for it. We want to make up ideas and propositions about angels needing more servants in heaven or something like that. But death is not part of life. Death was never part of life. Death was always a part of sin. And God never created any human being on this earth for any amount of years to end their life in death. Death is not supposed to be the end for human beings. And we know that in our heart. Death is something that separates families. Death is something that brings And the Bible says that a body buried in death is dishonored. That is not what what it's created to be. And so this is what Jesus says in a little 3 a.m. conversation with Martha. You know when no one else is around and your makeup's not on, your breath kind of smells in the middle of the night. And she has, he has this little side conversation. He says in the middle of that funeral, Martha, look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone that would believe in me would die, would, that would die, would still have life. And anyone that lived would not die because of me. Do you believe this, Martha? It's imperative that you believe this because I'm not here to make death your friend. I've become an enemy of death, and the only death that I ever knew, I went into the grave to go and get you. And so now I've not just made a friend of death. I've not made a purpose of death. I've not made a, a cute little uh, Instagram post about death. No, I've come to defeat death and punch it in the mouth and defeat it and break its back and tear it in half so that no one would ever have to die again that, that would believe in me. And he says, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? 
This is is the reason why we're here on Resurrection Sunday is because because Jesus defeated death once and for all. It's like a death sentence, you know? If you had a sentence uh, under the Greenville County court system and you owed two years of prison, until you served that prison sentence, the police department would have a hold on you. There would be a warrant out on your arrest and everywhere you would go, you would have a date with that sentence. But what Jesus has done has said is that the sentence that you have with death that you can't escape, I died for you on your behalf. And so therefore, when you look at the cross, as Timothy mentioned earlier, you're not looking just at my death, you're looking at your death. I'm sorry to say this, you didn't even get to invite your relatives to your own funeral because if you were in Christ, you actually died 2,000 years ago and you have no death ahead of you because the death that you were gonna die was already put on him. And therefore, the funeral and the tomb that we come to look at every single Easter that seems morbid is actually the center of actual resurrection life because if his death is your death, then his tomb is your tomb. And for the body of Christ, Christ has created one tomb for one family and there is no other tomb. I'm sorry if you end up getting buried in Pelzer or in Possum Kingdom or Spartanburg in Greenville, that's not your tomb. That's just a place where your body's getting put into a garden because you have no death in front of you. Your tomb is empty. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. And any man that believes in me, or any woman that believes in me, though they die, they will live. So the reason why I want to talk about John 11 today, there's a perfectly good resurrection story at the end of John 21. I might even read it today. I don't know. But John 11 is a funeral for Lazarus. And the reason why John 11 exists, even though Lazarus has a really funny name, is that Lazarus is us. Lazarus is all of us. Lazarus is us because he's from a little village, you know, like Greenville or Spartanburg. And Lazarus is us because he has a lot of annoying, you know, brothers and sisters and and siblings. And he also has a crowd, you know, the crowd that ends up following you when something traumatic happens to your life that's nowhere to be found when you're doing the normal everyday life. Like, Lazarus is us. You get it? Lazarus is us. And Lazarus is us because he weeps outside of our tomb, because we're sick. Some of us have COVID and some of us have cancer, but even worse than this, all of us have sin. And the the death that we're experiencing in this life, it's not because God created it to happen. It's like, it's because that sin has existed in the world. In other words, the physical realm isn't telling the spiritual realm what to do. The spiritual realm, because it's sick with sin, is causing death and cancer. In other words, if Jesus was not crucified on the cross because of your death, he would have never died because he was sinless. And so Lazarus in this story is us. And it's communicating to us, almost like a sermon illustration, almost like a sign, that just as Lazarus' body is resurrected from the grave, so our body will be resurrected in the grave. Grave. Jesus has made our death into a garden. Jesus has made the, the place where our tombstone is as a garden where, where our bodies are being remade to be reunited to our soul. And so this is the imperative question because this is, this is it. It all comes down to the tomb. Jesus did not come to be a Mr. Rogers to tell us to share more and you know, watch our uh, carbon emissions or something like that. Jesus came to tell us that he is God and he is the resurrection and the life. He has come to ask you that awkward question, that 3 a.m. in the middle of the night when your breath still stinks question, do you believe it? And like Darrell was talking about today, I could tell you all about the one over the 10 to the 50th power of the 15 different major prophecies of the Old Testament that all have to line up for Jesus to come, come into being. And I could tell you about all the biblical analysis and why things that historians and archaeologists and all things didn't think were true continue to become verified. And I could tell you about the 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus raised from the dead. And I could tell you about the three billion people that have survived the kingdom of Rome to advance the kingdom of heaven while Rome has fallen. The kingdom of heaven has still stood just like Jesus promised it. But none of that would matter if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit to give you the faith to believe it. So it's an awkward question, but it's an imperative question because we're not as invincible as we think. And death is coming for us. 
It does come for us, only for our bodies, but not for our souls. And it's imperative that we ask ourselves this question. When you look into the tomb, what do you see? Is it full or is it empty? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and life? Let's make our way through the passage in John 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort the loss of their brother. The Bible is very specific at the beginning, in the middle of this chapter, to, to vet out the locations and the places and the times, because the sequence of events matters. Jesus had figured out that Lazarus was dead in time to go and heal him, so he didn't need a resurrection. But it says in the text earlier in John chapter 11 that when he found out that Lazarus was sick and going to die, he didn't go and rush to his side. The text says that Jesus waited. He didn't go. He waited. He didn't go. Because God loved Lazarus and his family, and even more than that, the crowd that was going to watch this funeral that was ruined by Jesus, because he loved them, he created a crisis for them. He created a crisis for them. He didn't cause the death. He didn't create the pain. But he, he created a window of environment to shake their, their day, to wake them up in certain ways. And so it is that C.S. Lewis tells us that pain, although God does not pleasure in pain, he doesn't love pain, he's not a sadistic, mutilating kind of a God that we serve, he does speak through pain, and pain is a megaphone. Because if it wasn't for pain, we'd still be on our iPhones. We'd still be dreaming after the thing that we think is going to make us happy that won't make us happy, and we'll waste away and fritter away our life without actually really having life from a spiritual standpoint whatsoever. And so the crisis is created by Jesus to wake them up because Jesus wants to show them that life is not about airway, breathing, respiration. It's about connection to Jesus. He doesn't just give life. He is the life. He is the life. So I wonder if there's anyone here uh, that may be down in their 3 a.m. conversation in the middle of their heart, their soul searching, that they, they maybe stumble to ask themselves, when is my life going to actually begin? When is it actually going to get started for me? You're in the middle of this trial, this trauma, and it's like, man, I just can't even make heads or tails and, and what to do. And, you know, when we're in crisis management mode, it's almost like your tunnel vision. You can't think too far ahead and you can't think too far around. You're just like, okay, if I just make it through this thing, that, then I'm going to get the, to the place that I want to get to. When, when, when I can actually start living. The singleness journey, you know, when somebody is walking through a single journey and you're looking for that person to be married to and, and you see people getting married and, and you watch the time, you know, you know the sound of death? You know what death sounds like when it talks to you? This is what death, this is what death sounds like when it talks to you. Tick, tick. Death is a tyrant. It doesn't only affect the dead, it affects the living because if I don't have a certain amount of runway to get the things I want done, then every second, right, is like a, a step towards my sentence, things that I'm not gonna get done. So when's it actually gonna get started because the, the time's not getting any slower and I'm not getting any younger. When is life gonna begin? When are my kids gonna grow up? When, when, is, when am I gonna have to stop waking up in the middle of the night for, for my babies and I can actually have some sleep and actually think? You know, when's life gonna get started? I, I can't wait till life gets started. And Jesus said, no, listen, Martha, listen, Martha, that's death speaking to you. I never say tick, tick, tick. I say life, 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 life. This is what I'm saying. Jesus is the resurrection of life. He's not an airway breathing circulation. It's his presence is his proximity that offers life. And so listen, Martha, life is now or it's never. Life is now or it's never. He would say to you today, if you didn't have joy coming in here with Jesus, you're not going to leave without it. Jesus is the beginning and the end of your search. He's the only place where you're going to find life. He doesn't just give life. He is the life. And so your proximity to him is where you find it. And he will shake everything you have to make you find that life. Because there's some people that are, that are satisfied enough. Maybe it's for 10 or 20 or 50 years with money. And he's saying that's not where the life is. 
This is, this is, this is usually how it goes. Usually, that the human experience is that, that, that money is probably the quickest thing to offer us life, but usually, you know, maybe you're 20 or you're 30, you kind of realize, you know, it's not the money thing that's really going to do it. And then maybe you start to realize, you know, I want something different for my soul. I'm going to go get healthy. I'm really going to do it this time. And some of you guys did it, you know, and that's awesome. And I haven't, obviously. And so you're up in the middle of the night and you're getting up early and you're doing your push-ups and you feel great because you're meditating, you're thinking clearly. And then you're like, but something's still missing. I just don't want to look good. I don't want to be tan. You know, you turn every head at the party and who cares? So he shakes that, and it's not enough, and then you move on, and then maybe you're like into wisdom, right? And so you read a lot of books, and you do a lot of TED Talks, and you learn a lot of facts, and you can turn a lot of heads, you can make reason to things, but it's so lonely when you know everything and have nobody. And then it's time to make some friends. Maybe these people, maybe this church, maybe this relationship, maybe these kids, maybe that's warmth, maybe this vulnerability. And then you find out that all those people that you ever wanted to fill in that space couldn't fill it anyways, and all these people are always going to let you down. Are you there? Are you there yet? Has he shaken your life enough? That you, would, that you would move past the money and the stuff and the things and that he would shake your life, he loves you. It's not because he hates you he creates the crisis, it's because he loves you that he allows that crisis to happen, that you might wake up and actually find life. Life is not in the airway breathing and circulation. Life is in proximity to Jesus. Life is near him, he is life. And, and to have life without Jesus is an oxymoron. To have Jesus without life is an oxymoron. He says, I don't just don't give life, I am life. Jesus says to her in verse 25, I'm the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she says. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Then verse 28, he goes to Mary. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticing how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to, to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept. When the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, come. Or could not he who opened the eyes of this blind man have kept this man from dying? That was a little line in Dumb and Dumber where they're freezing. And uh, Harry, the second one with the long blonde hair. Uh, or no, it was Lloyd. Lloyd looks to Harry, the one with the long blonde hair, and tells him, oh man, I didn't know you were freezing. Here, have these extra pair of gloves that I had the whole time. And he goes, you had these gloves the whole time? He goes, I'm going to kill you. And he reaches out and grabs a hold of Jim Carrey's neck. He goes, I'm going to kill you. And he goes, Harry, your hands are freezing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not to be irreverent, right? But why is the guy that created the crisis crying? It's like, come on, man. You're sitting here having a whole show about this? Like, being melodramatic, crying about the thing that you know you could have stopped, you know you could stop right now. Like, why has he decided to cry? Right? And the theological answer is because Jesus is man and God. He is 100% perfectly divine, and he never is 99%. And he's also, at the same exact time, in some paradoxical way, 100% human. Maybe lowered his divinity. I don't know how to explain it any better than that. But beyond that, more theological and more practical, I think what Jesus is doing is to Martha, he's explaining what the resurrection life is. And to Mary, he's explaining and showing what it's or how to receive the resurrection life. 
In other words, he's, he's, he's answering to Mary's what, or Martha's what, but he's speaking to Mary's how. And so can I propose to you today that if the resurrection is real, then probably for most of us, if not all of us, and the resurrection comes off the felt board and out of this person's sermon and becomes real to you through your tears, not your triumphs. I want you to imagine for a moment a person that you love dearly. They might be sitting next to you. They might be downstairs. And you know how people are. The more you love them, the more they annoy you. You know, they have the toothpaste and they just squeeze from the top, not the bottom, you loser. Like, get it together, dude. Whiskers in the thing and the towels everywhere and the kids with the goldfish. Talking back. And I want you to imagine that by 2 o'clock this afternoon, an accident happens and you just lose them. That could happen. And now all of a sudden, all the things that used to annoy you about them would tear you apart. And all the things you used to say about the things that would annoy you about them would tear you apart too, wouldn't they? And the car that they had with the goldfish just the right way and the cell phone they always leave behind or the keys, you'd almost be like, you'd almost be struck to even touch them or move them. They'd become like a shrine to you. And this is the point. Like, I'm a philosophical guy and I can, we could talk about the idea of the possibility of the resurrection not being true and the idea of why faith is never actually graspable and all these types of things. And we can talk about those things late into the night. But at the end of the day, here's why I think the resurrection has to be true. Because if it was just about the stuff, then I guess some people win and some people lose. At the end of the day, all the stuff goes back in the box. Right? But if it was, if it was just about the, the doing and the accomplishments, then hopefully some of us get a lot of accomplishments done and then you get to the end of your life and you get everything done and you go back and you let somebody else you know, population control the thing. But if love is real, then death is absolutely cruel and vicious. If love, the, 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 the purpose of life being to love someone, to know and be known for 30 and 40, 50 years, I don't care what the preacher says at the funeral, death is not our friend. Death is ugly, death is vicious, death is vile, death is cruel, and death is not our friend. And so let me suggest to you that if Jesus is speaking to Mary about the how of the resurrection, then maybe we actually face and find the resurrection by facing death for itself and realizing that Jesus has caused the resurrection to be a reunion, that all people that are in Christ will one day, the one that you're loving, the one that you're thinking about, and the one that you're shuddering about if, they were, if you were to lose them, that distance, that gap of death is not just some science experiment or biology experiment or just some philosophical debate. No, that thing is personal and it's painful. And if the resurrection's not real, then this whole life is cruel and I don't even know what we're doing here in the first place. No one can say that love exists and the resurrection doesn't. That's an oxymoron. So here's my thing to you. I don't know if you're in church or don't know where you are with the Lord. Everyone's looking to find God, but not the fake God, you know? Everyone wants the real God. That's what I want. That's what you want. We want something real. We want something that's in the middle of the night. Let me just suggest to you that if you're looking for God, then potentially the best place to look for him at this point in your life is to look for him in your tragedy, not your triumph. I want to suggest to you that potentially the best way for you to find Jesus is to turn the music down, not up. And to put the cell phone down and stop taking pictures. And stop pointing the fingers and stop talking so much. And sit there and just be quiet. And see, in that quietness, when you're encountering yourself and maybe nobody else but the Lord, see if there is an anger 
resentment, sadness, bitterness, that all day long you, you would never have known existed, that you're running after all these things to quiet and quiet your soul, but you get down to, to the very bo- bare bones of it, and when we're quiet and just before the Lord, there's a lot of tears to be shed, and he's telling us, I believe, and showing this in this sermon, that the way that we access the, the glory of God is what he says in John chapter 11, is not through our triumphs, but through our tears. This is what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, right? That blessed, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit because you're about to find the kingdom of God. What is Mary doing? She's bargaining. Who knows the seven stages of grieving? What are the seven stages of grieving, right? Denial and bargaining and anger. And and sometimes, you know, you think that the psychologist is going to tell you they all come sequentially in a row, but they don't. You think you're over something and you're not angry about it. Then somebody that looks like your daughter at that same age that would have been your daughter comes up and all of a sudden you're ticked off again. And you should be because death's not your friend. And it's come to take you and choke you and steal your family members, then tell you that it's awesome and poetic, but it's not. And Jesus has come to say, you are not born to die, that sin has come to take you and your death, but I have died your death so that you would live, that the tomb is empty for you, for all those that would believe. And so Jesus, Jesus is helping her through, if you would not have been here, if I would have done this better, if I do this a little bit more, if I just change this, I can find the life, I can keep going, I can find it. He's saying, listen, it's today or it's never. It's today or it's never. This is what she's saying. I know, I know, the resurrection's at the end of the day. I can just get through this. I can just get through this. Then I can get to life if I can just do this. That's death talking to you. Death says tick, 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 tick. But I'm saying life now. Life now and life forever, or it's nothing. Life now or life forever, it's nothing. An indestroyable life, an irreducible life, an uncondemnable life, an uncomparable life. This is the life that we'll find in Jesus and nowhere else. And so I want to tell you, I want to tell you, it's worth it. It's worth your time and worth your kids' time. If you want to find Jesus, stop going to the conference. Stop turning the music up and drowning out your soul and your spirit. Stop running away into the bottle. Stop running away from your problems. That pain is actually more of a friend than you think because it's screaming to you. It's trying to wake you up from living a a life that exists in airway, breathing, respiration, and nowhere else. Jesus waited because he loved them. He loved them too much for them to find their life in something that didn't actually have it. And so if you want to find Jesus, you might actually be running the wrong direction. You might turn and repent. And run towards that pain and not away from it because the life's not as long as you think that it is. It's not as secure as you think that it is without Christ. And so at the end of the day, Jesus is just really doing a huge sermon illustration. This is what it says in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. He was, he was at a cave and, and the stone was laid across the entrance and take away the stone, he says. But Lord, with Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. Are you thankful that a God that's near, who's close to the brokenhearted? I'm not telling you to go home and be by yourself and meditate. I'm telling you to weep with Jesus and weep with the friends that know Jesus. And we weep with the scriptures that testify to Jesus. This isn't you. This is about us going home and bickering. This is about us coming home and meeting the end of ourselves so we can actually find the real God. But Lord said, Martha, the, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for it has been four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God, even through tears? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. There it is. Lazarus was having a great time. He probably just got settled into his room in heaven. You know, 
having a good time, blowing up the air mattress. I don't know what's going on up there, you know? <laughs> Feeding the little fish. Shoot, got ripped back into his body. Dang it! Got to be back down here again with all this smog, all these problems. Sisters everywhere. Golly, I was just in heaven. Jesus isn't worried about the casket. He's worried about the crowd. He's worried about the ones, I hope they don't miss it. I hope they don't see the sign and not the sermon. Because Jesus, or because Lazarus dies again. The whole point is not for Lazarus. Lazarus didn't get a renewed body. He got a sequel to his whole body, which I'm not sure. I'm sure it's a great thing, and I'm sure they were rejoicing. But the bigger point was not the casket. It was the crowd. He wanted to show the signs so they could get the sermon. You know, I do my best on Sundays. I brought a cast one time and talked about the law and I brought the fruit, talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is a little bit better. He's got graves, tombs, and dead people walking. That's kind of like, I still have some work to do on my sermon illustrations, you know? And so he says this. He calls in a loud voice to them and to us. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus says to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is a sermon illustration. This is a sermon illustration that's not just about a grave somewhere off in Bethany. It's a sermon illustration about the grave of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And sin is not your pet little mistress that you take out to relieve stress sometimes. No, sin is your master without Jesus Christ. Sin will own you and take you and tick, 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 tick you all the way to the grave. It is cruel and vicious and vile and it is not cute and not purposeful and not about people going off to go serve angels. It is, it is not part of what this creation has come here to do. And the tomb, or rather the grave clothes that he has on it, represents sin, the kinds of things that have to do with that old life, but not only sin. Sometimes I talk about this in church. You know, some of us sin, you know, like, like rock stars. You know, we're at the strip club and we're at the bar and we're doing that kind of thing. But the, the, the grave clothes that represent the old life are not just the bad things we do to run away from God, we're also the good things we do to try and impress God and be God. And both of them he's telling them to take it off because most of us are actually sinning like rock stars and we're sinning like politicians at the same time. We're at the strip club one day, right? And we're at small group the next day. And he's saying take both of them off because that has to do with the old life. This is not about bad people coming good. It's about dead people coming to life. This is not about a message. It's a miracle. It is a miracle the same way the same way as you would look at a dead person and say, I could never bring this person back to life. The resurrection means that person, body, soul, and spirit does come back to life. And what used to be dead and couldn't be brought to life has now been brought to life and can't be brought dead again. It's an irreversible death. This is the claim of the gospel. And so he's saying, come out of that grave. Come out of those grave clothes. This is a sermon illustration. This isn't about Lazarus. This isn't about the casket. It's about the crowd. And come and let go and have new life, life in the spirit. And so this is the gospel. I told this story uh, church before, so bear with me. But, you know, uh, my dad is uh, the second of seven Chinese brothers, Dr. Cam Chow Wong. Don't forget that doctor side of it. Andy Graham Bull in the China shop. Just shoot first, aim last. Has lived in America for 30 years and still we could barely understand, you know, sometimes what he's talking about. And, uh, and so... For all the hesitancies and yellow lights that I've made my decisions with, he's all green lights, you know. And uh, about 16, he lied on his uh, police test to become a policeman that he was 18 so he could serve early because he wanted to get out of the house as fast as he possibly could. You know, some of us are the older brother and some of us are the younger one. So he runs out of the house as fast as he can and he becomes a police officer in the city of Hong Kong, which is like pretty dangerous. He got shot at and all this kind of stuff. And in the meantime, he needed a place to live. 
And so he found a Catholic priest. This is like Les Mis, you know? The priest, like, let him stay in there and, and live there. And the whole time he was telling him, the whole time he was telling him, uh, when I get out of here, I'll pay you back once I get out of the police academy and I join the police force so I can pay, pay you for it. In the meantime, he never talked to his dad. You know, it's like super dishonoring to leave your, leave your dad and take all, all your money and go and pretend, you know, Chinese culture is all about honor. If you don't have family, like, what do you get? Last day, he passes the police exam. He goes to talk to the priest. Here's the money that I saved up for you. He said, don't worry, your father's been paying it the whole time. This is the point. Jesus is telling her, and the last thing I ever want you to connect to my name is death. Death is not for you. I didn't create death to teach you a lesson. I didn't create death to, to prove myself as God. No, death is your enemy. He's not your friend. And I came to defeat death. If there's anything that I had to do with death, is the grave that I went in to you for and got you out of it. I went into the only grave I ever went into to get you out of it so none of the people that would believe in me would ever taste death. And therefore, the cross, the cross that we see on Calvary, it wasn't just the cross that he did for us, but it was the cross he did as us. That was our death. That was it. You have no death to look forward to. If you're in Christ today, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come and there's no death ahead of you. There's, a, there's an end of your body which will be on layaway until it resurrects into the new age. But from now on out, Jesus says that any man that would, or woman that would look at that cross would see their own death. And therefore, in Easter, there's not three billion tombs all over the world and the planet of different Christians and the places where they lie. That tomb is just a place that sits over your body while it gets ready to go get resurrected. And so there's no death for anyone that believes. And so I wonder if you can hear the voice of Jesus speaking to you. If death says tick, 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 and Jesus says life, 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 that maybe, maybe, maybe by the power and not by the proof of apologetics, you would hear Jesus Christ say to you today, come out. It's time to come out of there. It's time to, to stop pretending like the, the thing that you already have, if you just get two or three times of it, is actually going to give you life because you know that it's not. So come out of there. Stop expecting that other person that's made in the image of Jesus but isn't Jesus to fulfill Jesus for you. That community, that marriage, that family is not going to provide for you. So put aside that thing and come out of there and find life. Find actual life. The whole time we're sitting there on these timelines and we're waiting for 20s and then we're waiting for 30s and then we're waiting for 40s and it's just this carrot at the end of the stick that we never find. It's a cruel joke that death plays on us because it's a tyrant. And meanwhile, Jesus says it's right here. It's today or tomorrow. It's not the last day. It's today. Come and find life in me. And so this is the life that you would live and this is the life that you live in Christ today if you're in Christ. New creation, the old is gone. It's life Life, and then there's life, and then there's life. Oh, and then there's life, and then there's life, and there's life. And it's not just survival life. It's full life. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's the stuff that we're really after when we go after the, the cars and the women and the money or the things that we're going after, the success, right? It's the actual things that we long for that a million dollars would pay for but can never find. It's things like righteousness, peace, and joy. Life in the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is offering us. And so he says, come out. Let him go. You live an uncondemnable life. That means that Jesus sees you the Father sees you like Jesus. You say, I don't know, I've, I've been really messed up and I'm, I just can't find it right and I can't get my act together and, and death has this hold on us. It, it tempts us, you know, with, with leniency and then it pounds us with guilt. It tempts us with a sense of, oh, you'll get over it and God will forgive you and then it pounds you with guilt and that's how it happens and just debt and debt and debt and debt of sin and Jesus says, come out of that, come out of that. I came to give you life. I came to give you life. You live an uncondemnable life. 
That means you're going, I don't know if I, really, if I really deserve Jesus. I don't know if I really can come to Jesus, if he can accept me as I am. And, and the Father just goes, look, it looks like Jesus to me. This is what you look like to the Father. You look like Jesus. He sees you like Jesus. He treats you like Jesus. You live an unconquerable life. It means he took your sin and he took your suffering on. And any suffering that you have, it's, it's that Jesus has borne it with you. And that he is seeing you through it. This is the promise of the gospel, not around suffering and pain, but through it to see that death is just, just a gardener to prepare you for the next life. And, and the suffering that, you're, that you're, you're experiencing today has all been thrust on Jesus. And like the law of aerodynamics, the law of spirit and, 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 and grace has lifted up Jesus and has lifted you up as well. The death could not hold him down. And so I just want to ask you, as a good friend at 11.22, not 3 a.m. in the morning, is when you look into the tomb, what do you see? Do you believe? That's the question that nobody can answer for you. There's only a few more moments, right? This life is like a vapor. Stephen Covey says, what, the best way to live your life is live it backwards. Go live out in your funeral. Go figure out where are you going to be on your funeral? What are they going to say about you on your funeral? What really matters? Isn't it, isn't it that when we face life or face death, we actually see life for the first time? In or outside of Christ, either way. And we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves to think that we're invincible without Christ and that we're going to find life in the next ice cream cone and, 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 and cotton candy treat that we serve ourselves. So I want to invite you to go to that place, even right now. It's not so far off. And I want to ask you, as you face death, do you sense a, a sense of panic and terror, hopelessness? Jesus has come to you today so that all would hear, not just for the person in the casket, but for people in the crowd, that any man that believes in me will have life and after that life, and after that life. Life and resurrection. An irreversible life. And so he's saying to you that if you want that kind of a peace about what goes on, not just beyond the grave, but even today, that you'll find in no other place but Jesus. It's not just one of the places. It is the only place that you'll ever find. It's the only place you'll ever find that peace. And he says, you know, some of the most common misconceptions about following Jesus is, is that it's stuff that we need to be doing and stuff that we need to be trying and being better at. Listen, I'm telling you right now, there's people in churches across America that don't know Jesus. There's people that are outside this building that are closer to Jesus than some of the people in this building. Jesus is not a brand name, and he's not a box somewhere, and he's not a bunch of stuff to do in a checklist. He's life amidst a grave, amidst death. He's life amidst death. He's dead people coming into life. And so the invitation that Romans tells us that if we want to have life, then it's not about going and doing a bunch of stuff. It's about believing. It's just about what you believe when you look into that tomb. If the tomb is full, then there's no hope, and death is the master, and everything goes back in the box. But if the tomb is empty, if the tomb is empty, then any man that would believe would have life, not just in the by and by and beyond, right now, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.